Hey friends, and welcome back to the Speak Out Loud podcast. We are so glad you're joining us again today. We're so thankful for you. Thankful, Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this, for following along on social media, for the different encouragements that we receive. It means a lot to us, and we are so appreciative of you for just all the ways you're joining with us. And really what we think is hopefully helping to build out a community of hope for those who struggle with mental illness and for those who love and support them. Hey, last week we released the first part of a two-part conversation that Stacy and I had a chance to record together. We titled that conversation, Carrying Hope. You know, when we think about that title, Carrying Hope, we really thought two things about it. One, we wanted to aim this, this discussion for those of you that uh, carry hope for you and your loved ones. Maybe you have a loved one, a family member that battles mental illness, and, and you felt like your role and your, your task over these however long has been to carry the banner of hope. So we want to come alongside you and, and be your cheerleader, be your encourager, and just say good job in that process. And maybe for some of you, you need some hope today. You need to, to find some hope to carry you through. And so when we talk about carrying hope, we hope that this episode does both those things and reaches both of those groups of people. Encourages you if you're carrying hope and also if you need some hope to carry you through, we want you to know this message is for you. So today we're going to pick up and and carry on with part two of this conversation. So we're going to jump in. You'll you'll hear us just jumping back into the middle of where we left off last time. Stacy and I wrap up this conversation where she had a chance to interview me And just talk through a number of questions. Hey, we talk about marriage. We talk about parenting. We talk about family. We talk about uh, decisions based around medicine and treatment. We talk about therapy and and my participation in that with her at times and how I can support her in that. And and one of those key things we're going to talk about is, hey, what has carried us through? What are some key things that have got us through the toughest parts of this journey? What are some key memories what are some key lessons learned? Uh, we're going to talk about some things that, and I'm going to talk about some things I feel like I've done wrong that I would do differently if I could do them over again, but also at the same time, those lessons learned through it. So hopefully today you can learn something from that as well and be encouraged. I love what that word, when you break that word encourage into its just two parts, it means to put courage into. So today we want to put courage into you to continue with this journey to continue carrying hope, and to continue in the fight against mental illness. And we know that it's a battle, and we know that that for many times there's no breaks from it. So, hey, we love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening. So now, please enjoy part two of this conversation between Stacy and I that we've called Carrying Hope. Just to continue in this conversation, Doug, you know, sometimes the best thing that you can do for the listeners is give them some specifics. And so that that way we don't stay broad and we don't stay vague. We we give some specific things that we've gone through so that you as the listener can say, okay, I can relate to that. And that brings you some comfort. And that's one of the things that we want with this podcast is to be comforting to you because of the comfort that the Lord gives to us. And in turn, you can find that comfort in Him. But uh part of this community. Doug, what are some things that you think are some key moments, insights, awarenesses, or things that have impacted you throughout all of this? Well, this was something um, I had a chance to prepare. So (laughs) I wasn't just uh, pulling these things off the top of my head this fast, but, uh, you know, several things as I thought through it that that really came to mind as, as very key moments. I think 
I think for both of us, but certainly for me, one of those is when we found Laureate, which was a hospital that was really key to your recovery process. And I think that uh, that was the place we went the day after I pulled you out of the mental hospital, the other the other mental hospital. Mm-hmm. And, and that was just, to say it was night and day different, doesn't even fully describe it. It was that just different from you being treated. I just felt like there really hadn't been a place where you were treated with dignity. So often you were being pigeonholed as you're this depressed person, you're this mentally ill person. And here I found it was literally was, I felt like there was light and there was hope for the one of the first times. I think Mm -hmm. I felt hope in this process. This was years ago, but that was, that was such a key moment. Well, you know, there's different types of ways people get admitted into the hospital. And this is brief, but I do want to say that I wasn't resisting. Now there are situations that, you know, where you are being um, perhaps, your your life is in danger because of the person with the mental illness and everything. But in our situation at this point, I wasn't resisting. I was tired and I didn't know what to do anymore. And it's kind of like I just surrendered and was just like, okay. And what we didn't want to do was go to a place where they were treating me uh, in a way that I wasn't uh, requiring. Mm-hmm. And so since I wasn't resisting and I wasn't, um, I was very cooperative uh, because I was to that point, definitely sooner than later, that you could take me to a place where they were um, kind and respectful to me. Very forthright, very clear, but at the same time, you know, weren't mishandling me. That was was huge. Mm -hmm. But that was that was maybe the the first real light of hope I felt in this whole process. Um, There was another moment you and I had gone to the lake house of a person in our church mm-hmm. and we needed to get away and we had some huge, big things we were facing. And, and I remember there was a moment in that weekend where I just really sensed God saying, you're going to get through this. And I think we were both were very fearful. There wasn't a path forward. We weren't going to get through this. Now I can look at that moment and say, I also delayed on some things I probably should have done, and it took another 18 months for us to come to that point. But I look back and I remember there was a specific moment and a specific point in time where I felt like on that trip, God just gave me this assurance, we're going to get through this. And I never let go of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a moment there. Now, now, I, I (laughs) I didn't make the best decisions after that, but, uh, but there was a moment there. Um, There was another moment where um, about eight or nine years ago, Oklahoma Baptist filmed a video telling, briefly telling your story. Mm -hmm. And it's called uh, A Love That Never Lets Go. And it was done, beautifully done. uh, An incredibly gifted videographer did this. Uh, Derek and and Lampstand Productions, they've won all kinds of awards over the last few years for a lot of their their work and productions. Mm Um, I was bummed. I could, I was actually out of town on a business trip when you filmed it. But I remember going a week or two later to his office to preview the the final product before it was released. Mm -hmm. And as I saw it, I just, I mean, tears were just flowing down my face. I was just overwhelmed. And the video is actually available for those of you that haven't seen it. It's on our speakoutloud.me website, which we need to do some work on. We know we need to get to that. And it's just one of those things we haven't been able to get to yet. 
and, and, and update some. But if you go to that and you go under the, the tab media, the video is there. We've posted it there. We've had it there for a number of years. It's called a love, love that does not let go. You'll see a picture of blown glass. Yeah. And um, they kind of weave together your story with a glass board, making this beautiful vase out of all these broken pieces yeah. of glass. A local artist here in Oklahoma City. So it just was one of those moments where I really understood, I think, the story that God was weaving together in your life. Mm -hmm. And I was just overwhelmed by it. So that was a moment. um, I do want to say with that, if you'll take a minute to watch it, it's only like three or four minutes. Um, I think that a lot of people who listen to this podcast will say, I can totally identify with that. And it might make you um, understand a, a lot more about God's hand in this process because someone gave me the chance to just share unapologetically where I'd been, where I was going, and where God had us right then. And it's just a beautiful picture of that. If yeah. you would please go and, and watch that and uh, and share it with people, we would we think that that would be um, hopefully encouraging to you. Sure. You know, there was two really specific things that I remember from when you were in inpatient treatment mm-hmm. that I, I just think were key moments for me, certainly, in this this journey and this experience, one was um, both happened during a time they had called Family Week, where they had family come and and spend several days there with you. And I remember one, we were in a in a group setting with all the the family uh, of those that were in treatment, and it was a blend of people there with adult patients, so spouses, friends, and then also their parents in the, for with their kids who were in the adolescent program. Mm-hmm. It was two separate programs, but all the families were together. And I'll never forget this this big, burly kind of football coach from a small town whose daughter had been admitted to the program. And and through just weeping, he he bravely told all of us that it just describing their experience and what they were going through. And he said, it's like a bomb has gone off on our family. Mm-hmm. And I know we felt that. I thought that is such... I'll never forget how he said it. So that is such a great description of what it feels like for many families when they're first entering this. It's that shell shock. The bomb has gone off. Some crisis has hit and and you're stunned. And I know what that feels like to be stunned. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm blinded or I'm deaf because of this big explosion. And I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what to do next and, and where to turn. And, and all at the same time, as I was trying to figure that out, your life was on the line. Yeah. And so I know what that feels like. And then I think another example out of that is another person said, it also feels like a marathon. And I know we feel like we've been on a marathon. Most definitely. And um, so (laughs) those are just some key moments. Then another key experience out of that, uh, the the lead medical doctor of the program did this amazing illustration of what um, what goes on in an eating disorder patient's brain. And he just used the, he used all the technical terms and all the different kind of neurochemistry and the biology of the brain and different things. But bottom line, as he told this story, he he used uh, he kind of used examples of what the thought process that happens for someone without eating disorders. Then he flipped the script and he did exactly the same kind of steps. But he talked about each of the, how the thought processes for an eating disorder patient were the opposite almost for mm-hmm. those that struggle with anorexia or bulimia or whatever their, their eating disorder was. 
and I'm beginning to clue in. And in the most impactful moment, he had all the different people participating in this. He said, okay, I want you to read your statement out loud of what's going on in the brain at these stages. So there were seven or eight women on stage who were in the program who then began reading out their, their card all at the same time. And it just was kind of this chaos of messages and noises. And he just stopped and he looked at the audience and he goes, and that's what's going on in the brain of your loved one when they sit down to eat a meal. It wasn't just each individual message hitting in, in order. It was the chaos of the messages all flooding the brain at the same time. And I sat there and I thought at that time, you know, we've been married over 20 years. I thought, how many thousands of meals have I set across the table from you? And something completely different was going on in my brain than your brains. We ate that meal together. Yeah. And it just was like, it was just this eye-opening kind of aha moment for me of just, of understanding. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I've perfected understanding it since then, but it was this moment, moment of understanding where it just really hit me hard. And, and I think it's changed certainly how, how I approach you and how I approach your eating disorder and how I approach recovery, I yeah. think, in many ways. hundred percent. I remember I was one of the people up at the front holding one of the cards and everything. And I looked down at you and I was just like, I saw, if it's okay if I tell yeah. uh, I saw you crying and you're not just this crier. And sure. I, I looked at you and I thought, he gets it. I don't, I instantly didn't feel so lonely, not only with the eating disorder, but in our marriage when that was never something that we had anticipated in the first place. But mental illness can do that. It can be a divider. It can be a separator. And what it did was, is that moment I felt like, gosh, thank you, Dr. Moseman for explaining it in a way that all of us can understand and verbalize it. And it, make things not so distant, not so lonely. It was a life-changing moment for me. And I think it was a life-changing moment for us Yeah. Um, because you're right. I think there's an element of you'll never fully understand. I, I can't step back, see and hear and feel everything in my mind's eye like you do. Mm-hmm. And so as often I can fall in that trap of, of, well, I'm assuming you're thinking like I'm thinking. Your mind is working like my mind is working. Um, but, but your mental illness is giving you another message. And, and it's hard for me to really understand that. I think it's hard for loved ones to fully understand that. But, but at the same time, you know, I don't have to have full understanding to have compassion. And that was a moment where my compassion, my empathy, my understanding just grew by leaps forward. And it was mm-hmm. so, it's been so helpful to us. The final thing I would share just of, of you know, there's been so many that I, I, there's not time to share, but I remember sitting in church a few years ago at the end of a service, and I can't even remember if this was a Bible passage that was being talked about that morning, but it just hit me. It must have been. Um, it's the verse, Bible verse, John 1, 5, and where it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And the light it's speaking about is the light of Jesus. And I remember I actually picked up a piece of paper. I just began scribbling down really fast, just some thoughts that were hitting me all in that moment. Mm -hmm. But I just began to realize that it just hit me. God, Stacy knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your illness. He knows everything so intimately deeper than your doctors understand it, than you understand it, than I understand it. 
and, and he knows your heart and your love for him. And I thought there's a light there that even in the depths of this, the darkness of this illness, the darkness of depression, of all that you battle, it can't overcome that light. Yeah. And, and I think I hold on to that in, in the dark moments. I hold on to that in the hard moments to know, and that gives me hope that there is a darkness, there is a light that the darkness of all you experience cannot overcome. Mm-hmm. And and you may not fully experience that that light and that that overcoming even in this lifetime. But the promise is, is that we will experience it. Every one of us that has our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we will experience it for him in eternity. Mm-hmm. And I hold out that hope for you in the now, and I hold out that hope for you in the future. And, and I cling to that. Yeah. But that, that was a powerful moment where it, I remember I almost scribbled a whole page as fast as I could of just understanding just personally what that, what God was, I think, speaking to you and to us in that moment out of that one verse of scripture. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's amazing when you're caught off guard like that. You're just like, wow, I, I didn't know such a revelation was going to come to me and you can be so thankful for it sure. and, oh, yeah. and everything. So, you know, even at, even in best case scenarios, um, people get tired. I know that you've been tired and there have been times when you have been really unsupported and lonely in this journey. I would be remiss to think that is not true. And I don't want to ignore that. Um, there have been times where I know you've been largely without a spouse. And I'm not saying that to put myself down. I'm just saying that's been our reality. And um, so much of the emphasis and attention has been put on me. And um, sometimes I've felt really bad for you. And I've felt sad because uh, I've wanted you to have as much support at times that I've gotten. And that's not always possible or it's not always been available. I think you're not one to just um, ask for that. And so sometimes I think in our in our lives, people have overlooked that and it's not because they've, they've been um, trying to pretend it's not there, but because maybe they haven't seen that you've needed that. So when you are overwhelmed and burned out with things that I deal with in my mind, what do you do? I think this is one of those areas where I, I probably could, could do better too is that um, I haven't always reached out and and I need to reach out more. Um, I do have some some people I can interact with and talk through things and that's really been helpful. Um, I I think uh, sometimes I just to admit you know I might just put on Sports Center and zone out you know yeah. and so um, and that's something I might do at times or or try to watch a movie or just something like that where, you know, I'm kind of zoning out and just and almost for me, um, for at least a moment, setting these things aside. And I know it's hard because I can do that where you can't, you know, like we just said before, there's no vacation from mental illness. Mm-hmm. So I can take those momentary breaks where you can't. And that is really difficult. But those are ways I've, I've probably handled it. Uh, certainly leaned into my faith and leaned into uh, relationships. Um, I I think at times I've been able to lean into work and just kind of lose myself in that at times too, and focus on that. 
Uh, there's other times too where it's been, you know, I only have a hobby, but I do like to do yard work. I've always just enjoyed mm-hmm. that for whatever reason. You guys, our um, yard is his third child. So well, hopefully not that. Going. Yeah, okay. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, so, um, you know, those are things I've done. I think so. I do think in, in thinking for somebody else, it is important to have somebody else you can talk to. Um, I have gotten comfortable and have gotten to a place where I can converse with others about our experience and what you're going through and I'm going through. And so often I think people might feel like, oh, I can't say anything to anybody. And if, and if you're in that position, um, it's hard. And I, and I think sometimes it's hard for the people to know when to reach out because they don't know what to say. They don't want to say the wrong thing. Sure. And so you may have to be a little bit more proactive in reaching out to others instead of just waiting for others to uh, reach out to you. I was once in a, in a small support group. It wasn't, it was just a kind of an ad hoc group. And, and one of the things somebody said was, you know, nobody brings a casserole when your loved one's in a mental hospital. And I think it's very true, but I also think without that sounding hopefully too pitiful, I think the reality is, is that it's because a lot of people don't know what to do or to say. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we may have to reach out, even letting them know it's okay to, to talk about this. It's okay to, um, to speak into my life. Hey, you know, I know you're concerned for us. You want to help us. Here are some things you can do. And maybe it is providing a meal or maybe it is um, just going to lunch or coffee or whatever and sitting down to listen, whatever sure. it may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for guys, maybe it is going out and, uh, you know, whatever your thing to do, play around to golf, go hunting together, um, you know, just, just whatever it may be, go and watch a ball game. Something that, that you can connect with over an activity um, those are things you may have to do, but I do think you have to, you know, you have to do those things. I've had to do those things to equip myself to be ready for, to be of support to you yeah. that I can drain my battery. And then I'm not, I'm not able to be the support and encourager you need if I'm completely drained. Mm-hmm. And so charging up the battery uh, for those that have a loved one that's struggling with mental illness probably looks a ton of different ways. But I think the principle there is you have to, you do have to charge your battery. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to find out what that is so that you can be of support to to your loved one, to your friend Mm -hmm. who, who's fighting this battle and who maybe can't take a break to charge up their battery all the time. That's so true because there have been times that I look at you and I know without a doubt that it's like the weight of the world's on your shoulders. You know, even when we go on vacation, like we've said so many times, my mind goes with us. And I know that you you can really empathize and with me on that because you're just like you've you've seen it happen and play out so many times. And so I do I do know that people in your position um can often just burn out and be so exhausted that your health begins to suffer. And what I would say about that is is that you can't be there for me when you don't take care of yourself. Now I can say that. And then my mind can go through this time of just pulling it all from you. And, um, and what my habit is, is to say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. My friends are like, why are you sorry? You're like, why are you sorry? But what else can I say? You know, it is so difficult to see people that I love 
um, struggle because of my mind and because of my weight and different things like that. And so that's why it is so important, I feel like, for people in my position to get the professional help that they need um, so that that way there's a, at least time off. I'm not going to say it's a balance. I'm going to say it's a little bit of a reprieve for you, time for reprieve for you. Well, that's a great point. I think I think um, me knowing too, maybe this is really important to say, I, I have to realize I can't fix your illness, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, I can't fix it. And so I, I need to, there needs to be other people in your life, professionals, doctors that we go to, that you're engaged with. And so I can't bear the whole burden of fixing it because I can't. Therefore, I have to have others. We have to have others in your life that, that are those professionals mm-hmm. that can so I support that process. You know, I think some people can feel like I've got to fix it. I've got to be the one. This is my loved one. I've got to fix it. And sometimes you have to let go of that control. Mm-hmm. And that can be hard to do. Yeah. But you have to do that. And and the other thing I would say, too, Stacy, is um, I, I know from what you were just saying earlier, you can feel and you can say this that you feel like a burden to your friends and maybe mm-hmm. to those around you. Mm-hmm. And I can say, speaking for us, you're a great friend. You're a great wife. And so it's not a burden. It's mm-hmm. it's a relationship for all of us we have with you. And we love you. And therefore, uh, we're invested in this. Yeah. It's not a burden. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I do not want to talk about this next idea at all, because I think that you are already, you know, uh, without saying, uh, I'm sorry that you are apologetic in some of the ways that you've handled things when you don't need to be. But I think for the sake of people who are listening and them learning from our path and, and, and our story, that it's a, an important question to ask. And that is, um, what are some things that you would do different, Doug? Yeah. And this is not me trying to to be, you know, hard on you or anything sure. like that. But if, if other people can learn from where we've been, just like we've learned from other people where they've been, that's living in community. And that's what yeah. this is all about. So can you just name, I, I hate to ask you, but if you could just name a couple of things that well, would be helpful. I think it's fair to say, too. I'm the one that had you put this question in. I know. I wanted this question in because I think it's important. Mm -hmm. I would answer this by saying there's maybe one kind of overarching umbrella that would play into a lot of things, and that was not delaying action. I look back, and I particularly think in the early days, the early years of, of this journey for us, that too often... I hesitated and delayed action. Mm -hmm. And I think that it was whether it be seeking out professional counsel um, and getting help and helping you get help to not just just pushing, like I said, pushing and pulling you along, thinking, okay, we're going to get through this. Things are going to get better. Stacy's strong. Stacy's tough. Stacy's, she's resilient. She's going to get through this. And, And I think I really... I hesitated and also probably pushed us to the edge to where it took a crisis of, of, you know, a suicide attempt on your part. It took a crisis 
for us to really wake up and to realize, and me to wake up and realize, okay, this is how bad things really are. This is how bad this illness really is. It's not, and, and, and had we maybe taken action earlier, things could have been better faster probably. So, so I, but I think too, that procrastination, that delay, that being passive, it was also this me being caught up in um, what I say is sometimes, it's, at least for me, is the finest lines of all is the line between optimism and denial. Mm-hmm. And, and I think oftentimes I was thinking I was landing on the line of being optimistic and saying, hey, things are going to get better and trying to hold out that banner of hope for us as a young family to say, we're going to press on, we're going to get better. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was really probably falling on the line of denial by not realizing how um, maybe how serious and how bad things really were. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that, that, you know, optimism and denial are separated by a line, but hope comes when, when I think you blend, when you, when you blend these things together and say, I can be optimistic, but I'm going to stop denying the problem and we're going to start trying to find a solution mm-hmm. and getting help. And that's, I think, where hope began. So overall, I would just say in too many ways, in too many cases, probably just delay and just yeah. assuming or hoping yeah. or thinking things will get better and they weren't going to. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I would change if I could. Sure, sure. That's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, there's a lot God's built into our story. I mean, we said it last week, there's no plan B, right? So it's not like we deviated off plan A and, and somehow got on plan B, C, or D by, by delaying action. God knew our story. God knew in our weaknesses and frailties with choices we'd make, maybe choices that weren't right. Mm-hmm. And yet in his ability to redeem even the bad things and the poor things and the bad choices we do, He's redeeming it to something that still can come for good. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's there's hope in that, too, that mm-hmm. that maybe there's good out of it. There's good that we had to learn the hard way, but there's also good we can share with others by maybe out of our story, um, helping somebody else avoid some of those detours. Mm-hmm. Doug, you and I so badly want to give people tools. And as cut and dry as we want them to be, as obvious as we want them to be, some of them just aren't. And what are just, you know, in your thoughts, what are just some things that you would share with family and friends of someone who struggled with mental illness to know? I think that's been laced throughout our whole talk. Um, I hope this is a podcast that you will listen to and re-listen to when you need those times of of help, Um, that this will be something that you can pull out of your toolbox. But what are some things that you would just really say would would be helpful I think a couple quick things. One, I would say to somebody else, you can do this. Yeah. You can do this. I, I think for some reason, I, I remember back to our 20s before I was really cluing in, maybe early to mid-20s, to, to the battles that you were facing that we were going to have to face. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, I think I was very young and working for a church and encountered somebody that was having a mental health crisis. And I just remember thinking, that's got to be one of the worst things ever that somebody could go through. Maybe yeah. the worst thing ever without really any scope of understanding with complete naivete on my part of, of the journey we had ahead. And I would say now it has been incredibly difficult 
And I don't want to minimize how hard it's been for you, but also to say, okay, you can get through this. You can do this. Mm -hmm. So I would just want somebody to know that, to not lose hope at the outset. You can do this. Um, I would also say, don't go it alone. Um, You know, don't go it alone. I think we're conditioned, particularly in things that may be dealing with our mental health, to, to bury them to isolate on them, to feel like I can't share this with somebody else. Nobody else knows or mm-hmm. knows what I'm going through. Nobody else has ever, ever experienced this. And those are just lies of the illness itself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of understanding. I think particularly today, understanding and support has grown by leaps and bounds oh, yeah. in many respects. So, so don't go it alone. Um, and, and finally, I would say, uh, you know, other than my overcoming my previous answer, be proactive. Uh, Definitely be proactive. Um, Things aren't going to fix themselves. Be proactive and finally have realistic expectations. I think one of the hardest burdens we can put on our loved one in in their their recovery journey is an unrealistic expectation. Mm -hmm. There's going to be ups and downs, uh, lots of ups and downs. Three steps forward, two and a half steps back is still progress. Don't lose sight of that. Celebrate the progress however slow and painstakingly it may come Mm -hmm. because it's progress. And I think you've got to realize that and and don't just think, Oh, I'm going to, we're going to breeze through this and get from point A to the end. Just like that. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Those are so good. Those are so true because you know, you may be thinking right now, okay, they've been doing this for 30 years. I don't want to do this for 30 years. I definitely do not want this to be my life. And I just want you to know it's going to be okay. So I'm, I'm so thankful, Doug, that you, you have um, made these choices. It really brings home a lot of things for me and I appreciate it so much. Very personally, in addition to the things that you've been willing to share, I just wanted to know, what do you pray for? Well, specifically in this journey, Stacy, I think mm-hmm. I pray for clarity and understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so often, um, you know, your thoughts and mental illness and the battles you face can be very jumbled, can be very chaotic, can be very um, overwhelming. They can get on this negative spiral. So I, I pray that God would cut through those and, and just bring a clarity and really, as part of that, it's kind of two-sided, too, just to bring a peace to your heart and your mind over that. Mm-hmm. Um, I recognize at times there's things that uh, I can't do. Uh, I still get caught in this trap where I think, oh, I can just reason you out of something, reason you out of a pattern of negative thinking that's tied to your illness. And often I can't because mental illness is not reasonable. Right. It doesn't respond to reason. And so... Um, I have to step back and I have to just turn those things over to God and say, God, do what I can't do. Do what even a therapist or doctor can't do. Do what medicine can't do. Bring peace, bring clarity, bring understanding. And I think God works in his ways. And over time, he's accomplishing that. But those are some of the key things I think I pray for, particularly as they, they look to this illness. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I pray for hope. I just pray that you can see as we talked about earlier, the light, you can see that light of hope mm-hmm. and that that doesn't grow dim. And I do know that God holds that holds true to that promise that, that, that 
darkness doesn't overcome. Yeah. I, I know that to be true because you've held that banner up for our family in times where I couldn't see it and I wanted to so bad and it wasn't showing up. It, my vision was not seeing it and yours was. And I was so, and I've been so thankful in that, that that has happened. And uh, there are times that there've been times along this road where I know without a doubt, nobody could say something to us that was going to encourage us more than scripture because it does not change. It God does not change. And to us, that has been life-saving to us as a family, to us as individuals that make up our family. And I just wanted to know, is there like one that you keep going to that um, keeps impacting you um, in order to keep your stamina and your steadfastness as the leader of our home? Well, uh, certainly, just like I said said earlier, John 1, 5, I can't can't almost say that one enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Mm-hmm. So that's key. I think uh, we we go to a lot, Second uh, Corinthians, the book of Second Corinthians, and in chapter twelve, uh, this is a this is a verse I think that gives us a lot of hope and purpose. Um, and starting in verse eight, the apostle Paul writing this says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me." Which, if you read before that, he talks something about uh, you know some some problem or illness or weakness that he had. We don't know exactly what that was. Mm -hmm. But then in verse 9, it says, But he said to me, meaning God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Mm -hmm. So therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I think that we've had to learn that lesson and we had to learn what that means. So that means a lot to us. And then finally, I would go back a few chapters in, in also Second Corinthians. This has always meant a lot to me, but I think that our journey has even driven home the truth of this so much more. In Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And then it skips down in verse 16. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, whatever we're going through, whatever hardship it may be, we may feel like we're being crushed, we're being persecuted, we're being driven down, but we're not destroyed. And in the end, whatever we go through, we don't have to lose heart. We cannot lose heart because even though no matter what you're going through, outwardly, we are wasting away every day because there's an enemy we can't defeat and it's out there somewhere for us in every one of our futures, and that is death. Mm-hmm. But it says this, for our light, and it says our light, it's talking about the weight of them, our light and momentary troubles. Now, what you're going through, Stacy, doesn't feel light or momentary, and I know that. And, and what this is saying is not trying to make 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 
right. light mm -hmm. of your experience or anybody else's pain and experience. Mm -hmm. But it says if you could really see ahead and really compare it to compares it to the weight of eternity and the weight of glory, it would seem light and momentary. And it puts it in some perspective for us to say, God is at work. And even if the solutions all don't come in this lifetime, in the end, all stories will be told rightly. And there is an end that is a glorious future. And you get to experience that free of mental illness. And that gives me hope. It's excellent. That gives me hope. These are the things that I've wondered. These are the things that I've wanted to ask you. And even if I've asked them fragmentedly over the years and everything, I think that you are one that when you do learn something, you learn it well. And um, that that's worth sharing with people far more than um, only about my battle it's just important for people to hear what you you have learned and you have learned well and what we continue to learn um, both as individuals and together as a unit is important. And so I appreciate you being open to this and being vulnerable. And I pray that for those of you who are listening, that you have um, gotten some really important things from this. Doug is one of the most humble people I've ever been around in my whole life. So for him to share these things um, so unapologetically for me to ask these things, um, I pray that you will really, really enjoy this, this two-part episode. Um, well, our goal in our, in our heart is that uh, out of both of our experiences and our both of our perspectives, we can bring hope and encouragement to people that, that struggle and to those that love and support them. And so that, that's a group of people I feel like I can speak to mm -hmm. um, because I'm, I'm right there with you mm -hmm. and uh, I'm still learning, but um, we're a lot further ahead than we were and we've got a long ways to yeah. go. It's so, okay. It's all right. Yeah. One of the things that I do to, to kind of sum this up is just for you guys to know that it is okay to take one morning at a time, one afternoon at a time, one evening at a time. If you look at things in much bigger than that or much longer or further in advance than that, it is overwhelming. So I just encourage you just to take it one step and then the next, one step and then the next, because it is going to be okay. It is okay because of God. And um, that's not something I can always say without crying. But I do want to encourage you in that um, and not minimize it, but just go, please can keep going, keep going, yeah. keep going. And we appreciate you. Press on. Yeah. One thing that we always want to encourage you to do is to go on to not only speakoutloud.me, my overall website that is um, going to be going through some transformations, but it is still very usable. Please go on there, watch the video. Um, also, we always want you to go on to our Speak Out Loud podcast page on both um, Instagram and Facebook and not only like or share, but also would you start to follow so that we know if we're being effective in the kind of social media that we're putting out there. Also, we want you to be able to subscribe so that that way you will get notified when um, a new episode is coming out. We have been doing one a week, and uh, that's, I think, a good rhythm for us. 
And finally, if you have not picked up a copy of my book, You Are Worth Saving, Letters of Hope from a Desperate Heart, um, you can just pull up my name and it will have that there for you. It can be bought on Amazon. And um, we would really hope and pray that that would speak to your life. It's um, 30 letters that I've written to a friend on my days. It's raw, but it's very appropriate for what mental illnesses, whether it be anorexia, anxiety, depression, cutting, all of the above. Um, I hope you'll pick one of those up. And um, soon the audio um, version is coming out. We're just putting the final touches on that. Those of you who don't want to read but would rather listen in your commute or overall, that is going to be a great addition to what we are able to put out under the umbrella of Speak Out Loud. So we appreciate you guys and we love you guys and we're praying for you. And please um, continue to follow the Get Singer story as it continues to unfold. Thanks. We love you guys. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.